give her a hand. Tell you what, when you when you teach Sunday school and the way things are right now, the transition time, Cindy uh, is making a big sacrifice to hustle in here and practice, and then go back to class and come back in and practice. And I'm grateful for her doing that. Um, God's good. Amen? Amen. A lot of churches I was talking to, a couple of pastors. You know, obviously we're still looking for a minister of music. And uh, by the way, I haven't really said anything, but since it says church life report, I'll tell you this: I did interview somebody and. Is somebody I knew. And I'd served two churches with him many, many years ago, and we were good buddies. And we were both hopeful, but but it fell through. I mean, I met with him, and anyway, it, it, his wife didn't want him to do it. I just got to be honest with you, so he couldn't do it. So anyway, so we have interviewed one person, and so we are looking. Uh, this is not what I want to be doing, but, but we're going to make it. God's good. We'll make it until we find somebody. But uh, anyway... But we're blessed. I, my preacher friends, several of them don't even have piano players. And uh, we have some. And whether we have more than one. You don't know who the other ones are. They won't tell you, but we do have piano players, more than just Cindy. But also, you know, we found Miss Kathy, who's willing to play when, she, when she's in town and can do that. So we've been blessed to have that. If you received, if you read our emails, uh, we, send out an, we sent out an email... Um, Friday, I believe, uh, updating the meal today, telling you about the luncheon. And again, let me just tell you, the VSD, Vision Strategy Design Team, they have many projects, but we're doing one project at a time. This project is we're trying to refurnish our foyer or rearrange some things. So the luncheon today uh, is to help raise money for, uh, for that project. And uh, so... That's one reason we're asking you to stay, asking you to pay, so help us raise money. And the VSD team has provided most of the food for today, so I appreciate them, appreciate them doing that. But if you got your email and have read it, I introduced you to a new staff member. So you wish you read it now, don't you? Huh? That's right. We have decided to hire Mr. Tim Esco as our facility manager. You clap for that. You can clap for that. And uh, it's a long story. Uh, I'll tell you about it later, but uh, uh, Tim will start the 6th of, of March, and it'll be the first time, if you read the article, you realize how many square feet we have. Like, for instance, I, mean, I gave, you, gave you two examples in the article. Um, by the way, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and go to Luke 23. Luke 23, and then I want you to go to Luke 23 and then John uh, 19. Luke 23 and uh, John uh, 19. Let me encourage you also, I know you're not going to run out and pick one up, but please keep these, these little focus sheets we gave out several times. This is what we're going to be focusing in on for the next couple of years, living in the light of eternity. So, and has all these little statements about what our focus is going to be. So please pick one up. I always keep one in the front of all of my Bibles. And so hopefully you'll do the same thing. Luke 23, and then, uh, uh, and then John chapter, John chapter uh, 19. But I was mentioning about, about Tim... Uh, 
we have over 30,000 square feet of space. And we've never had a full-time facility person. And just to give you one example of how life is in church, with, a, and we've had great part-time workers. We have two right now. One that cleans this building, and one that cleans the preschool building. Um, make a long story short, when we first moved into the, back, to the building in the back, uh, we went over two years and didn't realize we'd never cut our hot, hot I'm sorry, our water heater zone, not hot water, it's water heaters, right? So we have two or three water heaters, and we had never used them. They'd, so for two, really it was more, almost three years, Jeremy was over there, that tells you how long ago it was, and he couldn't get any hot water, and come to find out we had never cut on any of the hot water heaters, or water heaters, in three years. Now I would assuming if we had a facility manager, that might be something that would be taken care of in, in shorter than three years. Also, you'll notice, the other example I gave, is the uh, doors to that building. There's eight entry doors. They still have the primer, the gray primer from the factory. Those are factory gray doors that's never, never been painted. And they're fine, but it would be good to paint them one day. And it's been about ten years, so, so maybe with our facility manager and somebody's going to be here more often, maybe we can get that done. So... Tim and Marianne are cooking for us today. There's many things Tim's going to do. We'll put that in print. He'll be helping us do several things. Your Bible's open to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 23. Before I read Luke chapter 23, and again, when you see the word Golgotha okay, uh, in, in the text, we're going to read it in a minute. We'll read it in, in uh, John's Gospel. It's in Matthew, Mark, and in John, the word Golgotha. That, like I said, that's Aramaic. And, and it means place of the skull, just like the word Calvary is a Latin phrase, Calva, and Calvary is the place of the skull. You know, so we'll get to that, we'll get to that in, in just a minute. Before I, I read the passage in Luke 23, I, I want to uh, read, I wrote, wrote this uh, since I've had uh, some sitting time with Diane. I uh, took a moment to, uh, to write a little uh, introduction today. Uh, since we're starting um, kind of a new series, as I said, uh, the journey to Golgotha. And let me just say that it is, it's, you still go there and you exit the Damascus Gate. Now this is outside the city. You, you didn't kill people inside the city walls of Jerusalem. Even the, as vicious as the Jews were, they would not have allowed that to happen. So... Christ had to die outside the walls of Jerusalem. So to this very day, you can exit the Damascus Gate. There's seven, eight functional gates right now in, in the walls around Jerusalem. So you go out the Damascus Gate and just within a few steps, you're looking at the hill. And guess what it looks like? And at a certain time of day, in the shadows, it looks like a skull. And that's where the name came from, the place of the skull. Because it was on that hill that Jesus was crucified. And you can see it today. And I, I'm, I'm so, it's incredible. And I'm going to tell you something else when we finish that's to me even more incredible. This is the Lord's day. In obedience to Christ, we have assembled to worship the Son of the living God and to give Him the praise and honor for which He alone is worthy. By the way, 
Did you know the demons? Uh, we're going to get back into that down the road, but demons, uh, this is especially in, uh, in Luke's Gospel. Luke records one of the demons saying to Jesus, Ha! I know who you are. You are the Son of the living God. Isn't that interesting? That even demons, and of course we know that. We know they know who He is. But we're here to worship the Son of the living God and give Him the praise and honor for which He alone is worthy. In humble submission to the Father, the Eternal Son, the Eternal Son, surrendered His exalted glory to be the Holy Lamb without blemish. Fully God and fully man, Christ Jesus, having given Himself, is now exalted above all things, whether in heaven or on earth. And now it is King Jesus, Redeemer and Judge and Ruler of all, who will soon return. He will come not as a servant nor a sacrifice, but He will come as the conquering Lord and Master. Just as He promised with His eternal and universal authority, the Lord Jesus will establish His kingdom and His rule on this earth. By the way, Jerusalem will be the capital. Really, it'll, Jerusalem will be the capital of the world, but in all honesty, Jerusalem will be the capital of the universe. Today, the, this very moment, we each live, breathe, and exist because He grants to us that to be so. Likewise, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and King, is present here and now, willing to work and prepare all of us for eternity. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, who, who is, who was, and who is to come. I am the Almighty. Can you say without any doubt or reservation, my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. To Him who loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom. Priest to His God and Father. That's Revelation 1 and Colossians chapter 2. Luke chapter 23. And I just want to read a small portion of the events of of the last day of Christ's life. So I'm in Luke 23, and I'm going to begin at verse 26. Luke 23, verse 26. And as they led Him away, and by the way, we're going to come back, we'll look at this more specifically in the days to come, but just look at the narrative part. And as they led Him away, they seized one Simon of Serene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So at this point in, in the events of Christ, the beatings on Good Friday at this point, Jesus is unable to carry His cross. So the Roman soldiers... Uh, enlist or demand that Simon of Serene uh, 
carry His cross. And there followed Him a great multitude of people and the women who were mourning and lamenting for Jesus. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for Me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. That's a prophecy about some persecution coming to the Jews when Jerusalem was besieged. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, he's just quoting a parable of the day, a Jewish parable. So if, if they do these things to the wood when the wood is green, talking about himself, a young Jewish man. Uh, so if they'll do this to, to the wood that's green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, still called that today, when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Him and the criminals, one on His right and the other on His left. Now if you don't mind, go back to, uh, go over to, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. I'm in John 19 and, and uh, pick up verse 15. John 19, 15. By the way, this year, for the first time since I've been here, we're going to have a service on Good Friday. I'm really embarrassed to say that, that uh, I think it's April the 7th, Palm Sunday. Yes, yeah, correct. Palm Sunday is April the 2nd, and then Good Friday is April the 7th. And we will have a service here on April the 7th. And we're 40 days from today. Remember, the, we did several years where we did the 40 days of sacrifice. And we started 40 days from Easter, the day of resurrection, and we made sacrifices for 40 days and talked about the cross and resurrection. Well, we're 40 days from today to Good Friday, so 40 days to the cross. So we're going to make a journey to Golgotha. Verse 15 says, They cried out, Away with Him! Away with Him! Crucify Him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your King? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he, Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Again, Calvary comes from Latin, the Latin translation of Greek. So when the Greek was translated into Latin, that word was Calvary, so that's where we get the word Calvary from. 
But in, in the original language of the Greek, let me read that to you. you won't, but it's Lego, topos, topography, cranium. Lego, they say. Okay? Topos, the place. Cranium, the skull. Lego, topos, cranium. That's Greek for the place of the skull. Years ago, I was reading a, I, I, the family had taken a, or I don't know if it may have been just a story and not true, but it was interesting. This family had taken a vacation to uh, the Grand Canyon. Uh, well, we did that years ago as a family as well. And, and, and I, many of you have been to the Grand Canyon, and it is a monumental thing to see. Uh, it's just massive. Uh, so anyway, this, this, this article, this story was talking about this mother wanted her children to, to uh, remember the trip. And so everywhere they went, you know, whether it was uh, the Grand Canyon or wherever, they, they had to write a little summary about what they did today. And anyway, to make a long story short, the little boy, somewhere first, second grade, whatever, in his journal for the day they visited, and I'm talking about if you've been there, it's a day. You can stay there several days. But the day they visited the Grand Canyon, if you've been there and you've ever listened to any or you read some of the stuff, you know that if you're on some of the areas of the canyon, the canyon it's almost two miles across in some areas. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? And then the depths in some areas are a mile, almost a mile deep. That's, a, that's incredible. Well, anyway, in this little boy's journal, he, there, there he's visited the Grand Canyon, and in his little journal, this is what he said. I spit a mile today. So of all the things he did, obviously at the edge of the canyon, what did he do? He spit. And so he wrote in his journal, I spit a mile today. Pretty insignificant for what he saw to write down, I spit him up. But let me, let me just say this. And I'm included in this. I'm not saying it's you, it's me too. Often when we come together to worship, in light of the holiness, the otherness, the unapproachable righteousness, of the God we worship, and how significant it is that through the Son, the Bible says we have free access to the presence of a holy God. It's like how we act and how we think when we come in. It's like we're saying, I just spit a mile today. In comparison to what our experience should be, we have the same cavalier attitude about worship, about holiness about salvation, about obedience. I can remember one of the when you go preaching classes when you're going to preaching school, Bible school, they always talk about you have to get ready for Sunday on Saturday in the sense of resting, and they used to tell you all this stuff that you need to go to bed early and, and all that and prepare your hearts and all that. But even when I got saved, I can remember our youth pastor talking to me, talking to us as a youth group that that Saturday at some point on Saturday, uh, you ought to be preparing yourself for the Lord's Day. And I think he's right. I think they're right. 
Now, obviously, I, I have to because, you know, I can't stay up to 1 o'clock in the morning and scream and shout at the TV or, or you know, I have to get ready for today because, as you say, today's my only work day. So I have to be on, obviously, if I'm going to work one day. But, but how of the significant, what we're going to talk, when you talk about salvation and what God does for us in Jesus, how significant the gathering of the saints are, how come we don't make preparations on Saturday? How come we not regularly or have the disciplines of praying for what God's going to do in our own hearts on the Lord's Day or, or making sure we have enough rest or making sure our children get enough rest because we want that day to be what it should be, the Lord's Day. But folks, some of us come in this room and you may tell you what we're thinking about? Leaving. We're here so we can leave. So we can mark the box in our mind that we've been here, but what we're thinking about is getting out. God knows that. So how many of us would say, I spent a mile today when we think about worshiping the Lord? I want to talk to you about three things about salvation. I want you to think about these three things. It's simple. Why is salvation so important? Why, why is it that Jesus says in John 3 to Nicodemus, you must be born again? We use a term in theology called regeneration. Uh, some words, Peter uses those words. It's called new genesis. The word new and the word genesis in the Greek text. New genesis. You have a new beginning, a, a regeneration, a new life. And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Folks, I want you to know, I'm 62 years old, and for 62 years, I've lived according to the flesh. I know I've been born to the flesh. There is no doubt. I'm a descendant of the first Adam. And even though Christ is in me, as we sang, Christ in me, the hope of glory, though He's in me, I still sin and disobey my Lord. So I know about the flesh. But Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that just as significant, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Then He says, do not marvel that I say to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I think statistically, we may be above average, but statistically, scholars and researchers and people that do these things say that 30% of the people here are lost on any given Sunday. Now let's just split that in half. Because we're a rural country church, or not near as country as we used to be. Let's say 15%. Let's say 10% that every Sunday in worship, somebody's lost. And they're a church member. That's what's troubling. Church members that are not saved. And they know they're not saved because the Bible says that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You know the difference. 
Let me tell you some things you have to think about. Number one, the permanence. Now, this is why you need to be saved. Listen to me. The permanence of Christ's law. Now, I'm, I'm using the same kind of words to help me remember. But God's law, or God's word, but I'm saying the permanence of, God's, of Christ's law, or the permanence of God's word. God's law is eternal. Now, Jesus came. He didn't abolish the law, did He? Like the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't abolish the Ten Commandments. They're still authoritative. It's still, now, the, now, the dietary laws, right? The life laws, you know, th- those have passed. But the moral law, the moral laws of God are eternal. Jesus said so, Right? Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, not one iota, one not dot, he says dot and tittle, will pass from my word until everything is fulfilled. Nothing's going to pass away. As a matter of fact, there's a whole book about Leviticus that, that talks about how demanding the law is and the only way around God's law is to do what He says with a sacrifice. In the New Covenant, God's law bears on us. It's a school teacher. Paul says in Galatians, the law is my schoolmaster. And it hammers me and tells me what I am. You may tell you what you are. You're what I am. You're a wicked, vile, vicious, depraved sinner. You need a Savior. God's law is eternal. Those rules, and when He judges the world that's unsaved, it's that standard He's going to judge it by. His holy and righteous Word. So God's law is eternal. So you need somebody that's going to save you from God's law. And who is that Savior? You tell me, who is He? He's Jesus. So nothing else, nothing else is going to do. Leviticus, it was the sacrificial system. And if you'll go back and read Leviticus, they just didn't run over there and sacrifice a bull. Listen, they had to go through ceremonies. They had to cleanse themselves. They had to wash. They had to sacrifice and put some salt on some things before they could ever make the major sacrifice because they were so vile. They needed a substitute. You and I need a substitute. You and I need a Savior because the permanence of God's law. Now, I'm just going to take you to one passage other than what we've already read. I want you to go to Galatians. Uh, if you go to First and Second Corinthians, then you'll be at Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. Yeah, go to Galatians. So this is after Second Corinthians, Galatians one. I want you to go to Galatians one. And uh, let me. Do you know that that the gospel, you know, the good news. Folks, I hope I didn't offend you by calling you a wicked sinner. But you are. You are a wicked sinner. I'm a wicked sinner. You need a Savior. And if you think God's going to set aside that for 6,000 years He's held everybody according to the sacrifice, that He'll cover their sin, He overlooked them in the Old Testament, Jesus takes it away. If you think He's going to use another method, you are insane. You're duped into believing a lie. That's what Paul's talking about here. You know, if, you, if you've ever studied the book of Galatians, just real quickly, Paul usually has this really nice introduction. To, 
to his letters. You know, I, I've prayed for you. You can go back in the grace of our Lord G. I've prayed for you. But all in, in Galatians, by the way, Galatians is the only New Testament book we think, the only one that Paul literally wrote with his own hand. Paul had vision problems, and he tells that here because he has to write with such large letters. Some people think that's his thorn in the flesh. I'm not sure. But I know he pins this himself. He's so fired up. And it is because, and it's his first letter. It's probably his earliest book, his earliest book. And it's because somebody's introduced a different gospel. Look what he said in verse 6. He says, I am astonished, perplexed. It blows my mind in today's vernacular. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, now look what he says. Not that there is another one. There's really not another gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, we would be Paul and Timothy and Silas, you know, even if we, Luke, travel with Paul, or an angel from heaven, and this happened, so, you know, some angels would show up that weren't good angels, they were fallen, and even should preach to you a gospel contrary to one we preach to you, let him be anathema or accursed. Let him be damned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Uh, so Paul was extremely serious about this gospel. Uh, look at chapter 2. Look, look what he does here. Look at verse 16. Uh, when I think about... Let me, uh, Jesus said... I'm looking at chapter 2, verse 16. Jesus said... I don't know if you've ever read this verse. This is also in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said... You shall be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Now folks, you know the Bible says that God, the Father, this is why the Son, God had to veil Himself in humanity to come here. Because we can't go there without Him. The Bible says God is so holy that, that you, He cannot be approached by any kind of sinner. You can't approach Him. So God came here. Matthew 5.48 says, You shall be perfect. This is how you're going to get there. You shall be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Well, how are you going to be perfect? How are you going to do that? Well, somebody has to transfer their perfection to you. And that only comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? By faith in the God-man. See, this is how you get saved. You repent because you're a sinner. The only difference between me and if you're here and you're not saved, the difference between me and you is there was a time in my life God spoke to me through the Spirit and Word and called me to salvation and He saved me. And I applied the blood of Christ. The difference between me and you is you haven't. And, and so my perfection is not me. My perfection is Christ. Amen? You see what I'm saying? So I am perfect in Christ. God sees me through His Son. If you're here today and you're not saved, God sees your wicked sin. 
And, and let me give you another scary thought. He's recording everything. And hell has levels. There, there are levels of punishment. And you will not escape. That's guaranteed. You will not escape. Down the road this year, I'm doing a series on hell. You will not escape. The rich man lift up his eyes being in torment. He is in hell. It's upon the man once to die, then after that, the what? The judgment. And here's what the good news is. I've, I've been judged already in Christ. So when I die, my relationship with the Father is through the Son. He was judged for me. See, that's why you need a Savior, right? So why do you need a Savior today? Number one, quickly, is because of the permanence of God's law. Number two, you need a Savior today because of the presence of Christ's life. Now, this is what I mean by that. You need a Savior because it's Christ alone that's going to save you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, now this is New King James, not ESV. New King James says, He made Him, 2 Corinthians 5.20, He, God, made Him, Christ, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so God imputed to us Christ's righteousness. So my life is in Christ. Galatians 2.20. Look, if you still have your Bible right here in Galatians 2, look, look at verse 20. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So, Number one, why do you need a Savior? Well, it's because of the permanence of God's eternal Word or God, the permanence of Christ's law. There is, a, there is a moral law that you're going to be held accountable to. But number two, you need a Savior today because of the presence of the life of Christ or the presence of Christ's life. You need Christ in you. You need His life. There's a song in the choir's done it, His life for mine. Remember choir? His life for mine. Remember? You want me to sing it? Okay, but it says, His life for mine. His life for mine. That's what you need. You need His life. So I have to ask, you know, is Christ in you? And Paul, Paul does this a couple of times. He says, as if, he, he's being sarcastic. He says, as if you don't know Christ is in you. And what he means by that is, you're, you're kidding me. You have Christ in you and you don't know it. You're not sure? This is the Creator God. This is the God that spoke everything to existence. He's in you and you don't know? You say you've been born from above and you don't know? I'll tell you what you don't know. You don't know you're really lost and you're going to hell. That's what the truth is. Do you know that you know that you know? We're on this little trip to Golgotha. You better know it well. You need Him because of the permanence of His law. It doesn't pass away. You can be held accountable to it without Christ. Every, every dot, every tittle, He's going to hold you. Number two is the presence of... Why, why in the world did Jesus come? We read it in John 3. He came to be a Savior. But the next time He comes, He's not coming to save. He's coming to judge. So number one, the permanence of the law. Number two, the presence of Christ's life. And number three... And really, this is the one that kind of amazes us, the, the power of Christ's love. <sighs> Verse 
If you ever want to read about God's love, I could ask this, and many of you could answer it, but I'll answer it for us. What New Testament book would you go to if you wanted to read about love? Now, you could say John's Gospel, and you can, because he does mention God's love a lot in John. But the book of 1 John talks about God's love. It's six chapters long, and it has 24 mentions of the love of God. And when I say the love of God, I'm talking about the agape love, the substitutionary, sacrificial, emptying kind of love that you give all and expect nothing in return, that kind of love. So why should you be saved today, or, or, or how can you be saved? Why should you be saved? Well, it's the permanence of God's law, the, the presence of Christ's life, and the power, the power of His love. Listen to 1 John 4.10. Of course, we read John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Think about that, for God so loved the world. See, people think that's not universalism. That's not universalism. You know, God so loved the world, that doesn't mean God's going to save everybody. But what it does mean is every ethnicity under the face of the, the earth, under the face of the sun is going to, can get saved. The world. Used to be it was just the Jews, right? Now it's the world. You know that. You know you're, you have your biblical worldview. 1 John 4.10 says, not that we... He, he says, this is love. I love it. It says, really it says, wow. If you're reading the original language, he says, Pow, wow, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. That's love. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Think of that. He sent His Son to die on the cross, but to be, and we'll stop here, to be our propitiation. That's a word for... uh, Changing dirty clothes. So He became... We were dirty. We put on Him. He was our substitute. He paid the penalty. He was punished for your sins. That's why He he bore the punishment of being a sinner. He was whipped. And He said, this is my body. Which is That's what He was talking about. He bore the punishment of being guilty. So propitiation is He bore the punishment and the guilt for sin. It's a banking term. You're, you're bankrupt spiritually. We are absolutely no, we're in debt to sin. But somebody paid it in full. And you know how I know He paid it in full? He set it on the cross. Paid in full. So let me tell you why you need to be saved today. It's the permanence of God's law. It's the presence of Christ's life. But it's the power of His love. And let me tell you something interesting. When you go to Israel... When you walk out of the Damascus Gate, um, you, you're not, no, I'm not kidding. You have to walk up some steps. Cause, and, and then, of course, everything's, you know, it's, you don't think you're walking. It's, it's today, it's contemporary living, and so there's buildings everywhere. But there's Calvary, there's Golgotha. And you're standing on a little platform and, and you're looking at Golgotha. And you can kind of, in your mind, visualize up on that big peak three crosses. You know, in Christ being in the you could see Him. But let me tell you something that's amazing. From that cross to the empty tomb, you can see them from each other. It's only 200 yards to what we believe is the real tomb of Christ, the garden tomb. So, the story 
doesn't end there. Because 200 yards right over there, and you can, and I say you can see it, it's really not, you can see the hill that the graves cut in. You can't see the stone yet. But, but they're 200 yards apart. The story doesn't end there. The story ends 200 yards over there. There's a tomb caved into a, a, a tomb cave, cave, carved into a, a hill, stone. And guess what? I, I went there and found this out. It's empty. And it's been empty for 6,000 years. Well, no, for 4,000. No, for 2,000. I'm sorry. For 2,000 years. It's been empty. And that's the, Christ that you need, that's the Christ that you need to know. Now, the distance for you is not 200 yards. Here's your problem. You can't walk there. The distance for you to be saved is from here to here. I'd say for me, foot, not far. You know about Him here. But there's somebody here today, I guarantee you, you don't have Him here. Have Him here. I mean, let me tell you how I know. You don't bear any fruit. Oh, you can talk the game. You're like a, you're like a trellis. All the vines, you look really good. The lattice work looks good, but there's absolutely no fruit. And you spend all your time looking religious, but you're unsaved. God's law is permanent. His presence will change your life, and His love is amazing. Do you know Christ? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open unto the Lord. And Folks, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Just thinking for a moment. We don't do this every Sunday, but we're going to do it for the next several Sundays. If you're here today, and this is to you if you've never been saved. I've been saved a long time, but I still remember what it was like to be lost. And I'm burdened for you. But I want you to know that time is not on your side. You're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You've heard the gospel. The the power of the Spirit is here. The power of God's Word is obvious. You can be saved today. And the Bible says to do so, you must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're here today, and you may be religious, you may be a nice person, and you may be, and what the devil's telling you right now is everybody here thought you were saved. Don't let the devil sell you that bill of goods. Don't, don't let him send you to hell because you're so afraid somebody's going to think something different about you. What matters is do you know Christ? Have you applied the blood sacrifice of Christ as the substitute for you? Or are you going to face God's judgment without a covering, without a blood covering of Christ. So in just a few moments, we're going to stand and sing, and I'm asking you, I'm begging you, if you're here today and you've never been saved, when we stand and sing, we're standing and singing. Some of us are wishing we could do it again. It's just so excited to be saved. We're begging and pleading with you, praying for you, that you'll step out and come tell me, Brother Bryce, I need to be saved. Now before we stand, let me just tell you what you need to do. It it requires of us that we have repentance and belief. So you must repent of who you are and where you're headed. And the word repent means to turn around. So you will abandon who you are, forsake it, and you will cleave to Christ. 
you will turn to Him and fall upon Him and ask for His mercy and grace. That's what you need to do. I'll be glad to help you do that this morning. Now, Father, oh, Lord, let that Spirit work. Take Your Word. and Lord, draw us to the cross this morning. We pray in Christ's name. We stand and sing, I surrender.